Scott Sauls, folks, I have on the Theology in the Raw podcast, my friend, my pastor from a distance, my brother from another mother, the one and only Scott Sauls. You're going to listen to that interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to make a quick announcement about a new resource that the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender has just come out with. It is Grace Truth 2.0. Five more conversations every thoughtful Christian should have about faith, sexuality, and gender, which might be the longest subtitle in book history, but it explains what the book is all about. It's not just a book. It's not just a small group study guide. It is a small group learning experience. And now we have completed the full 10-week small group learning experience uh, for you. That's Grace Truth 1.0, which has been out for a year, and then Grace Truth 2.0, which just came out. And this provides you with a ton of uh, easy to understand yet thoughtful and in-depth material about the conversation surrounding faith, sexuality, and gender. The only way you can purchase this full uh, learning experience is through our website, centerforfaith.com. If you go to uh, resources and look for Grace Truth, uh, the Grace Truth material. If you just get to centerforfaith.com, you will see uh, the resource kind of all over the place. So, um, but here's the thing it's not just a study guide, it's a learning experience that has videos, it has questions, it has additional podcasts and papers you can read. It is designed to take the average person in the pew, the person who's like, gosh, there's people yelling over here and people yelling over there. And meanwhile, my best friend is gay and I'm trying to study what the Bible says about this. And how how do I even engage this conversation with other people? This small group learning experience, Grace Truth 1.0 and 2.0 is designed to facilitate uh, down to earth, easy to understand yet thoughtful conversations surrounding faith, sexuality, and gender. I don't know of any other resource out there that is doing exactly what we're doing in this resource. Um, So I'm very excited for you to check it out. If you're a pastor, leader, or have some just desirability to create just a small group of people who want to engage this conversation, uh, consider this resource. Again, if you go to centerforfaith.com, go to the resource link, check out Grace Truth 1.0 and 2.0. Okay, let's hear from the one and only Pastor Scott Sauls. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I am here with my friend, and uh, he's actually um, uh, my, my biological brother. We were separated at birth. Uh, he is a twin, and uh, but we got reunited a couple years ago. Doesn't it feel like that, Scott? I don't know. I just yeah. when I <laughs> when I when I read your stuff. And hear you talk and see your posture and everything. I'm like, I, I don't, I, I could be you, I think. And I think you could be, I hope you can yeah, be. Yeah, I've, I've uh, thought the same. I, I, you're very, uh, very kindred um, uh, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. Preston, for sure. Well, it's kind of a weird, it was kind of a weird introduction. I, I didn't actually introduce you. I just kind of went off the rails there. But this is, uh, you're, t- you're going to hear a conversation between me and my twin brother, uh, Scott Sauls. Scott uh, pastored for a number of years at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, the Tim Keller Church, right? Correct. Isn't that where you started? Uh, no, I actually you were... started uh, with church planting in Kansas City and then 
church oh. planting again in uh, St. Louis and then ended up being the senior pastor of both of those churches and and then was in Redeemer for about five years or at Redeemer for oh. about five years before coming to Nashville where we are now and hopefully until we die. So, Okay, cool. And you're now the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in uh, in Nashville, you're the author of uh, a few books, uh, three books, and you got a fourth one on the way. Um, Jesus Outside the Lines was your first, uh, Befriend, and then also From Weakness to Strength. And your newest book is called Irresistible Faith. Um, all of these are just, yeah, I just, y- your perspective on evangelicalism, I just, I, I'm, I just, I'm so excited that you exist. And I, th- and I think, I feel like um, there's a lot of people who are kind of like, a silent kind of majority within evangelicalism that are longing for a kind of evangelicalism that you are teaching and, and, and expressing. Do you find that? I know because both of us get hit kind of from both sides or whatever, but I think there's a large number of evangelicals who are wanting a kind of evangelicalism that I think is reflected in your ministry. Would you, would you agree with that? I, I agree with it a hundred percent. I think there's also, there are also pressed in a lot of, of non-Christians who are waiting for <laughs> this kind of, um, you know, sanity that, that, you know, people like you and, and, you know, I hope I make some kind of contribution to that conversation as well, but um, just a return to um, a, an expression of the faith that is comprehensively, or at least attempting to be comprehensively, biblical, um, uh, neither liberal nor conservative and yet both, um, you know, uh, you know, the kind of, the kind of expression of the gospel and of Christianity that you can't, uh, figure out politically because, uh, because it both resonates with and departs from, uh, left-leaning and right-leaning, you know, partisan, uh, dogma and so on um you know i I guess uh one of the the tribes that we are both part of and enjoy you know being in the conversations with is is uh is the q conference and the axiom group and you know with gabe and rebecca lyons and that whole that whole tribe and and how you know they they talk about being counterculture for the common good in other words um you know, Christianity, what, what sets it apart and what actually makes it attractive is not how like the world it is, but how different from the world it is. Um, mm-hmm. but, but it's different, not in the way that, unfortunately, we've seen expressed since, you know, the moral majority movement in the 80s and 90s and ever since that have kind of got us in this, this public relations mess where, where Christianity doesn't look very much like Christ in a lot of people's eyes because it's seen as smug and self-righteous and holier than now and finger pointing and, um, you know, politically hypocritical, you know, want to impeach one president for the same behavior that, that, you know, the president that they completely support, uh, they don't want to impeach and, and vice versa. And that, that would, that would apply to you whether you're a left leaning Christian or a right leaning Christian politically, um, you know, where, where we're known more for conflating our politics with our faith than we are with our faith. We're, we're known more for, um, for 
being being friendly with those who share our politics but not our faith than we are with those who share our faith but not our politics. And so we've got we've gotten things backward, but uh, and and it's it's earned us the status I think of of in some ways a despised minority uh, rather than a beloved majority. Uh-huh. And uh, I think that's right where uh, where revival can can start to happen where. Uh, Christians are living uh, their lives a little bit uh, behind rather than ahead, uh, and where we have less power instead of more uh, power culturally. I think that's that's how Christians. That's the position where Christians have always been at an advantage to be a flourishing movement, to be a prophetic minority, as John Tyson says, or a life-giving minority, however you want to cut it. But I think right now we're in a season where there's a hunger for something more. Uh, I don't believe that all the nuns are are, are actually nuns. I, I think they're just tired of, mm. of 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 lackluster expressions of who Jesus is and what Jesus was like uh, in the churches. And and I think that uh, the more we return to biblical fidelity, which means that we are we are so theologically conservative, um, you know that that, that it makes us. Um, relationally progressive. Uh, in other words, you know, the more we mm-hmm. embrace the fullness of Scripture, the the wider our embrace is going to be, not the narrower our embrace is going to be toward toward our neighbors. We're gonna we're gonna be known as as you know the most loving, generous-hearted people in the world, just like they were in the first three centuries of, of the Roman Empire. Um, you know, where even you know persecuting emperors like Julian said that he can't exterminate Christians because Christians Christians love Romans uh, the Ro- the Roman poor better than Rome loves the Roman poor. Yeah. You know, the Christians love our people better than we love our people. And so there's no way we can stop this movement. And so I I, I can't help but think we're we're at a time precedent where we're sort of regrouping and uh, you know reconsidering what a return to to a more biblical expression of our faith looks like that's kind of a mouthful, but, um, you know, that's my passion. I know that's yours. So it's so good. So going back, would you locate the, for lack of better terms, toxicity that evangelical, the evangelical reputation has, has, has gotten over the last few decades. Would you say that that is largely due to the intertwining of faith and politics? You seem to refer to that a few yeah. times. You see that as a big where really things started to go south. I do. I think politics and the nuclear family are the biggest idols in the, in the Amer- in, in, in particularly American wow. Christianity. Um, both of them are, are deified. Both of them are more important than Jesus to to a lot of wow. folks who profess faith. And and what you get out of that is nominal faith and overly zealous politics and overly zealous um family centrality. Uh, you know, we forget that we raise our kids in order to send them out. Um, but, but Jesus <laughs> still stays with us all of our days. Right. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, the apostle Paul and Jesus Christ are both single men. I think, you know, even though they're the two, you know, history's most, um, you know, most prominent teachers about marriage, both of them were single. Uh, you know, even though they're history's yeah. most prominent teachers about parenting children, neither of them had children. I think that's a statement that, 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 that while marriage and family are, are a God-given, um, you know, institution and blessing, just like government is, um, neither was was designed to replace the church, which is going to outlast both of them. Uh, you know, the, 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 
the church and the kingdom of God are the, are the enduring family and the enduring kingdom. You know, in glory, there's no marriage. There's no giving in marriage. I don't know what that means, but I just know it's true because Jesus yeah. said it was. Uh, and it seems like we've taken, you know, these temporary secondary things and turned them into our primary ultimate things and made Jesus Christ secondary. And, and so no wonder the world doesn't, you know, take as much interest as, as it did in, in, you know, the Roman Empire and as it does in certain parts of the world where Christians are persecuted. Uh, and so, so man, I, 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 I think it's a twofold thing. I, I think, number one, um, there have been some missteps where um, people who are Christians who are lovely human beings in private have somehow turned into something very different behind a microphone or on an elder board. I, I don't know what happens, mm. but like you take Jerry Falwell, for example. He's like the poster child of the, the moral majority mm. movement, Jerry Falwell Sr., uh, the one who's mm. deceased, you know, the older one. Um, you know, he's, he's known like, you know, as like the worst expression of, of Christianity by Christians and non-Christians. And yet those who knew Jerry Falwell in private and in person would say he's the most loving, you know, generous, mm. uh, you know, father-like, um, you know, give you the shirt off of his back kinds of people uh, that you'll ever meet. And uh, you know, even Larry Flint, the founder of Hustler magazine, you know, those two, you know, got into, you know, public wars, you know, politically against each other. And then eventually, um, you know, they became friends. And, and you know, when, when Falwell died, Flint, it, Larry Flint is the one who wrote, you know, the most celebrated eulogy of Jerry Falwell, uh, because Falwell was such a loving man to, to Larry Flint in private. And yet somehow that didn't make it into the public wow. space. I yeah. think we need to be more public with, 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 with the, the, the faithfulness and the love and justice and mercy that we, that we seek to live out when we're in private. Um, wow. you know, it is, un- did, did fall, did fall, get a, did fall, get a free subscription for his friendship? You know, did he get I'm some sure to or? mock him. Maybe, maybe Flint got him a free <laughs> subscription. I doubt he opened the magazine. I hope he didn't. Uh, <laughs> you know, I trust he didn't, but, but, uh, yeah. you know, just as well as I'm sure Falwell sent Bibles to Larry Flint, but, but, you know, both, both of them are, both of them are evangelizing yeah. their product. But the, you know, I, I think the, the lesson we learned from the Falwell Flint story is that we, you know, we, we, we love people who don't believe as we do, not in spite of our, our faith, but because of our faith. Mm. And we need to get back to that not only in private, but, but especially in public, mm-hmm. uh, so that we can, you know, uh, I don't know, rebuild the, the true biblical narrative about what Christians are supposed yeah. to be in the world. Yeah. Wow. So I don't, uh, do you have anybody that actually goes to your church? Cause how do you get away with <laughs> talking as pointed as you do about, uh, the nuclear family being an idol and, uh, and politics? I mean, how, how do you, how do you get away with that? Or are people, or again, maybe there's a, 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 a lot, much larger number of people that are actually hungry for that kind of message. I, I think there are. I mean, we're, we're pretty direct um, about, um, we're, we're just, we just try to be as explicit we, as we can about what the scriptures say uh, about grace and about mm-hmm. truth and about truth and about grace, about love, about justice, about judgment, all of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we try to be unapologetic, you know, uh, this whole this whole narrative that's out there now about how the church is on a rapid decline 
and, and in the West in particular, and the, the rise of the nuns, you know, the nuns, not the nuns yeah. in the Catholic Church. N-O-N-E. N-O-N-E, N-O-N-E. Those, those who <laughs> declare none when, when asked to declare what right. their faith is or what their religion are growing. All of that's statistically true, um, but, but, but also statistically true, and Ed Stetzer wrote about this a few months ago, uh, is that while the mainline churches, the mainline progressive churches, uh, are, are in rapid decline, there is no doubt about that. Those, the, the churches that have somehow made either a partial or full departure from the inspiration and authority of all of Scripture are on rapid decline. Uh, and the churches that are still growing uh, are the ones that uh, still embrace and still uh, champion the full inspiration, full divine inspiration and authority of all of Scripture, of all the Bible. Um, those churches are still growing in the West and, and mm. uh, in the United States. Uh, and, you know, our church is one of them. Uh, uh, churches all over our city, the ones that are growing are those churches. The ones that are declining are the ones that are looking more and more like the world and less and less like the New Testament mm. church. And, uh, um, Hmm. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great, you know, Welsh uh, preacher, uh, in his uh, commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he says that, that, the, that the world is not drawn to Christ and to Christianity because we make our best effort at becoming, you know, our best imitation of the world. Um, you know, our best effort at becoming like the world. The world is one to Christ to the degree that Christians are different than the world. Different, not in a pugnacious, anti-oppositional, um, let me take the speck out of your eye, you know, way, but, but, but with, with the kind of love and the kind of truthfulness and truth-telling um, that, that Christ embodied and that Christ promoted with his followers. And so, I mean, the old ways are still the best ways. Um, and, yeah. wow. uh, you've done a great job, Preston, at at leading in that space as well. Um, so I appreciate it coming from you. That means a lot, man. <clears throat> yeah. So you, you're, um, you seem very, if I can say hopeful or optimistic about the future of evangelicalism, you see a lot of good movement. Now, are you familiar with the, uh, the Benedict option by, um, oh, what's the guy's Andrea. name? His name. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I, I'm not, I'm not read it. I just been talking to some people about yeah. it and kind of, hearing about it more secondhand, but that seems a little more pessimistic that, man, we need to kind of hunker down because the future of, you know, the being a Christian in America is not like really good for the future. Do, do you see those two kind of incompatible or how, how do you, yeah, when you think of like the future of evangelicalism, what, what do you see in five, 10 years? I think that in some ways, Rod Dreher and the, the uh, Benedict Doc option get um, mischaracterized because uh, okay. Truth be told, he is a public intellectual. Uh, he he is not uh, personally and completely retreated from the world. I mean, he's he's constantly putting his ideas out there for for consumption and for critique and for engagement. And so, um, I, I I I think that there is a lot to learn from the things that he is saying because um, we have become increasingly um, you know over time as as an individualized society where the highest virtue is, um, you know, is to find your own truth and to be your own person. Um, you know, the sociologists call it 
expressive individualism. You know, don't tell, don't mm-hmm. let anybody tell you what your truth is supposed to be. Uh, don't, don't, don't let anybody or what it's not supposed to be. And don't let anybody tell you that their truth is superior to your truth. And don't you dare tell somebody else that your truth yeah. is superior to their truth. And, you know, all of this, you know, sort of cultural dogma in the West of, of, you know, find your truth, your truth comes with inside of you where, you know, the gospel says, no, the truth comes to us from outside of us uh, in, in order to form us rather than from inside of us in order to, you know, tell the world that, you know, yeah. we're our own person and, 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 and uh, you know, none of us belongs to ourselves. There's just the, those that recognize that and those of us who don't, but um you know, the Benedict option, yeah. I think the strength of it is that it calls Christians back into community and into accountability uh, and into, um, you know, placing a high premium on private and public virtue uh, and, and on um, on being formed uh, by, by the truth of God rather than being formed by the liturgies of the world around us. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, Jamie Smith has also written a, a really wonderful book. I hope you can have him on your show sometime. Um, uh, you yeah. are what you love when, you know, which he taught, he, he yeah. says, you know, we're all liturgical mm-hmm. people. We're all, all being formed by practices. It's just a matter of what practices and what liturgies we're, we're allowing to form us. So either we're be- becoming disciples of Jesus more and more, or we're becoming disciples of our culture more and more. And, uh, and so I think the Benedict option, you know, really, I think in a very strong stated way, directs us back to, you know, being formed by the liturgies and, and of God and the truth of God and the, the rhythms of God and the, the being in accountable community with the people of God. Um, but I think, I think in some ways it, it, it is fairly and in other ways it's unfairly critiqued as a philosophy of retreat and a philosophy of, of withdrawal. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't think that's an entirely accurate um, representation of what he's trying to get across um, again, because he himself is a very public voice. Uh, but, but, but I also, you know, believe that we're still as always called to be in the world and not of it um, part of the world, but not yeah. stained by worldliness. Um, and that's a, mm-hmm. that's a challenging dance these days. So, so Scott, you're a part of the, the is are you part of the PCA Presbyterian Church of America? Yes, Pres- yeah, we are part of the PCA. Yeah. Now that that I've recently learned, I w- went to the Revoice Conference, huh? which was at a PCA church, um, and it's really kind of a it's it, uh, a fairly broad denomination. Like, yeah, <laughs> would, would that be accurate? Yes. I mean, and and you're uh, you could be a controversial figure. I don't. For me, it's like, I don't, it's not, nothing you say is controversial, but in this day and age, the approach you take that you do is controversial. Um, What I'm, I guess my question is, how have you done in the PCA? Like, has that been a wonderful experience or are you kind of, do you have people within the PCA that would love to see you not be part of the PCA? I, I, the PCA is home to me. Uh, I, I came to Christ through the PCA. I grew up in Christ in the PCA. I, I, I became a believer later on in life. I became a believer okay. in college. And uh, my first church just happened to be a, a PCA church called Mitchell Road Presbyterians in Greenville, South Carolina. The pastor at the time is a guy named John Wood, amazing, you know, pastor and preacher, uh, gifted communicator of the gospel. And, and uh, you know, it's kind of 
without trying to just kind of fell into, you know, another PCA church and then went to covenant seminary, which is the PCA's right. seminary, which is, you had a lot of covenant people involved with replace right. as well, uh, including Dr. Yeah. J. Sklar, who talked about, you know, the mm-hmm. difference between shellfish and, you know, and other things, <laughs> um, Levitical stuff. I'm, I'm so thankful to God that he created people who love Leviticus like J. Sklar does so they can explain <laughs> it all to us, to the rest of us. Yeah. But, um, but uh, the PCA, I, I would say that, um, you know, if, if you were in the PCA, Preston, you know, somebody like yourself who is, is doing, you know, as best as you can to live between, you know, the glorious tension of being full of grace and full of truth, um, loving God, loving your neighbor, caring about biblical ethics deeply, caring about loving those who don't live by biblical ethics or are struggling to live by biblical ethics deeply. You know, somebody like you uh, in a denomination like the PCA, by and large, much like Tim Keller, uh, mm-hmm. much like Duke Kwan, who you may know, who you may have met, he's spoken on yeah. this Q stage, uh, much like a lot of other people in our, our PCA tribe, Scotty Smith and, and you know, many others, uh, Ligon Duncan, you could add, add a lot. Of, you, you would feel right at home by and large, but you're also, Preston, in our denomination, you're going to probably, because it's a big tent denomination, uh, you're going to probably be uh, regarded as being too liberal by some people who are more conservative than you and too yeah. conservative by, by some people who may be a little more liberal or progressive than you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but But I would say that that those who are on kind of the um, the more critical or hypercritical uh, sides of you know the continuum are uh, probably you know a, a smaller number of people in the in the PCA uh, probably like any local church um, you're going to yeah. have 10% way over here and 10% way over here who are always going to have some issue with you and, and with the balance that you're trying to bring of the grace and truth continuum. But then, you know, the vast majority, 80, 85% are going to say, Hey man, I really want to learn from you. you, You've got some really helpful stuff that you've said or that you've written that I really want to learn from and love to partner with you. You're going to, you're going to see a lot more of that in the PCA than you are not. I mean, I think one thing the PCA gets criticized for is, um, you know, we are a, uh, a denomination that, that requires its ministers and elders to, uh, to abide by a, a complementarian um, uh, view of, of men and women in the church and in the home, you know, with, with, you know, the headship and submission language of scripture and a certain interpretation and understanding of what all that means, uh, which allows us to only have men serve as pastors and, and serve as elders, you know, based on, uh, at least our, our denomination's interpretation of, you know, Timothy and Titus and those sorts of things and the words mm-hmm. of Paul. But, and, and so we'll, we'll, I think maybe get as a denomination and I know Kim, Tim Keller has been criticized for, for this as well as, you know, groups like mm-hmm. the gospel coalition by those within evangelicalism who are maybe, maybe more egalitarian and, uh, just read the scriptures differently on those things. And so there's some of that, but, but I think by and large, it's a, a very generous, hmm. gracious, truthful, uh, imperfect, yeah. uh, but, but, but by and large, you know, trying to be healthy, 
um, yeah. tribe. And what I like about it is the accountability. Um, you know, so I'm accountable. I'm yeah. accountable to my fellow pastors yeah. and elders. And so, yeah, that's good. I didn't realize it was uh, on a denominational level complementarian. I knew PCA, that yes. most PCA churches mm-hmm. would be anyway, but I didn't realize it was a denominational. So you can't be a PCA elder or pastor if you're female. Uh, that's that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, now, okay. some of some of our churches, including ours, uh, have uh, commissioned uh, deaconesses, uh, and and uh, and uh, so you know the the diaconal mm-hmm. role. Um, you know, is, is by and large, uh, for the most part, left up to the the, the congregation. Yeah. Um, can, can women preach, even if they're not elder or pastor? Could you have a guest speaker? They can teach, but female? but not not preach in the services. Hey, man, okay. Jesus Outside the Lines 2.0 coming out uh, later this year with a chapter <laughs> on this very thing. So, uh, really? yeah. yeah. So are you allowed, um, yeah, if you don't want to go here publicly, uh, that's totally fine. But have you really worked through the question of women in leadership? I'm right. Well, I, I, I just, I've got too many other things on my plate that I can't really sit down yeah. and read through the 187 books in the top. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do, I mean, it's, it's an ongoing thing in my mind when I read passages, when I talk yeah. to people, it's been for the last 10, 10 years, something. And I, in a recent podcast, I was raised in a very strong complementarian, MacArthur, John MacArthur, right? I mean, women weren't even allowed to like drive the car. Wait, right John now. MacArthur uh, is complementarian? <laughs> Barely, <Really>? yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of people who are much kinder in person than people might presume when they're behind a microphone, I'm not saying he's unkind behind a microphone necessarily, right. but him relationally is very is different than what most people would expect anyway. Um, but I, I've, I, I, I think I announced that I'm officially like on the fence. Like, I, I don't know. I like when I do carve out time to actually study the issue in depth, do a deep study of first Timothy two, you know, look at different arguments and hermeneutical arguments and so on. I really, right at this point, I, I don't know where I'm going to land. And I'm in, I'm in an environment where it doesn't matter. Like I can land either way and it's fine. Um, are you, so you, uh, do you, do you, are you complimentary because you're a PCA pastor? There's no, I mean, why even there's nothing you can kind of do, or are you a studied kind of complimentary or are you even complimentary? Are you a closeted egalitarian? <laughs> in, in which case I can go, in which case I can go back and edit this out. If you really are want you me trying to. to get me in trouble. So I don't want you brought up on charges or no, anything. Man, here's, here's what I am. Here's what I'll, here's what I'll uh, first say. I am just about to, if you want to put it in your show notes, I am just about to click on a blog post that I wrote about this very thing um, not long ago when we first uh, uh, intro- when we introduced our first class of deaconesses and I, I interact yeah. uh, a bit with um, you know my own belief system and, and where I've arrived but I, I'll tell you this I I am personally a uh, a, a, a complementarian. Uh, I do believe in principle and, 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 you know, based on my own reading of scripture and my own understanding of scripture, uh, in the complementarian view, um, that being said, um, there are different 
expressions of complementarianism, some of which um, you know may feel more generous and others of which may feel less generous right. uh, to somebody coming from an egalitarian perspective. And I, I would say that, I'll say this, we, we've got uh, several women on our staff at the director level uh, who are egalitarians um, and, uh, okay. and who, um, while not in full agreement with the position of our church, are, are happy and I think would say that they feel they are flourishing um, and, and, and given freedom to lead fully um, you know, in, their, in their roles. Our, our director of, of faith and work, our director of missional living, uh, our director of music and worship, uh, our director of congregational care, and uh, our director of hospitality. I could, I could go on and on. About half of our director-level yeah. staff are women. Uh, if and when my executive director, who's 10 years older than I am, decides to, to, to you know, retire someday, um, his position could be filled by a woman. Uh, you know, we would look for a qualified, the most qualified executive leader for that role. And, and there's nothing that would prohibit us theologically or otherwise from, from, uh, putting a woman in, you know, the role of essentially the person who's responsible to execute my vision through the staff. Uh, so wait, exe- executive director, that would be similar to an executive pastor at a lot of churches, but just the title. Well, he's a very pastoral person, director? but he's not a pastor. He's not ordained. He doesn't preach. Okay. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't serve the sacraments and okay. things like that. Um, but, okay. but, uh, but you know, he's, he leads, he, he's like the chief operator. If we were a business, I would be the CEO. He would be the chief operating officer. He, he okay, takes, yeah. you know, the 30,000 foot stuff and translate it onto the ground through the staff. But, um, bottom, you know, bottom line is, um, I, I hope we're, I hope we're generous. I hope we're experienced yeah. as generous, generous being, uh, what I believe to be biblical. I mean, you look in the scriptures and, yeah. you know, you've got Priscilla who's essentially teaching seminary classes alongside her husband to, to a preacher, Apollos, um, you know, teaching him better theology mm-hmm. so he can preach better. Um, you know, that, that says something, you've got women who are prophetesses and, 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 you know, Phoebe's, uh, identified as a deacon, uh, uh from the church at, at Kentre and, and you know, Deborah, a judge of Israel. I mean, you could go on and on and on and on. And so, right. so I think there's a form of, of complementarianism that, um, that just like a healthy home, uh, is going to be equally as empowering to the she in the household as it is to the he in the household. And, and I, I think it's also important to, to remember that when, when Ephesians five talks about the husband being the head of the wife, uh, it also talks about, you know, his headship being exercised predominantly through deference and service, which means right. that when they disagree, unless you can think of a moral reason uh, not to, you know, defer to her, his call is to defer to her and lay down her life. So in a sense, yeah. Who's the leader? Uh, you know, you think of my big right. fat Greek wedding and, and uh, you know, how the woman says, yes, the husband is the, the head, but the wife is the neck and the neck turns the head. Um, you know, and that, that's, that's a humorous statement. But at the same time, wow. I, I think there's, um, you know, something, something very Christ-like in there as well, that Christ yeah. is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and yet he's also submissive to the Father. And so, right. uh, I don't know, man, we're still trying to work some of it out, yeah. but, but I, could you, could you be a, uh, could you have, could you be a comp, uh, an egalitarian and yet still say, 
Like, could you have egalitarian views and still be a pastor in a PCA and just, yeah, you can't ordain women or it have women. Practice, I mean, is that possible? Know, a complementarian practitioner, but an egalitarian believer, you mean? Um, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, or do you have to sign yeah, something that says I am? A I think there are people in the PCA who, who <laughs> would fit that description. Uh, I think that there are presbyteries, which would, you know, be our, it's like the local region of churches with, you know, the local region of pastors and elders. So I'm part of the Nashville Presbytery. Uh, there, I think there are okay. certain presbyteries that would, would allow that and probably certain ones that wouldn't. It just depends okay. um, on the, you know, okay. the leadership in your region. Okay. But, okay. Cool. But yeah, I'll, I'll probably get in, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll probably raise an eyebrow or two, you know, for being going too yeah. far, not far enough. Uh, and that's actually yeah. the, the blog link that I just sent to you. Uh, if you want to share it with your listeners, in the show okay. notes, yeah. you can, but, but again, I mean, the, the, the book that I, my first book, there's a second edition coming out uh, later this year with it's revised and it's also got new chapters on, on race and on, uh, on gender. Wow. And the gender chapter oh. is less about, I point people to Preston Sprinkle if they want to read about, uh, sexuality, and I put them to Mark Yarhouse if they they want to read about transgender questions. Uh, this this chapter that I wrote is more dealing with the egalitarian complementarian discussion. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I almost talked myself into being an egalitarian uh, in the writing yeah. of that chapter. But I, you know, there was just that one statement huh. that Paul makes: "For Adam was formed first, then Eve," where he ties headship and submission and in the church to creation. And, and, and it, you know, if not for that one statement that Paul made, um, you know, I might, uh, that might, t that might've tipped the scales for me, but uh, you know, that, that's, it's that one yeah. statement. That is a tough, that is a tough one. What's the, what's the pushback? Well, for, so for the, for our audience, when, when in first Timothy two, when Paul talks about, you know, I don't, I don't allow women to teach or exercise authority over men. Mm -hmm. He follows that up with, a, you know, the statement for, or because, or for this reason, or, or yeah. no, the reason for this is Adam was created first, yeah. Eve second, which I mean, in of itself, it just sounds bizarre, but whatever. Paul yeah. said it. Um, he, say, and the point is he goes back to, so yeah. 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 <laughs> he goes back to the creation account yeah. to root his argument, which, which makes it a little bit tougher to say it's simple, simply a cultural thing going on. But I will say you have in first Corinthians 11, where Paul goes back to the creation account um, to sort of justify cultural things like head coverings or veils or long hair and short hair and all these things. So I think it is at least possible for him to go back to the creation account to make a cultural point. And I haven't, I haven't worked through what all that means or is that even right? But, uh, but yeah, coming back to your point, I think that that, that statement is a, is it that whole passage is really tough but for several yeah, reasons. It I mean, it's, it's not an easy passage. It's confounded it. theologians for centuries, which I, I think, you know, makes it one of those areas where we, we really, wherever we land, um, first of all, we got to make sure that we, we derive our position from the scriptures rather than reading, yeah. rather than reading the position we want to have into the scriptures. We've really got to do some careful study and, and see where the Lord the Holy Spirit leads us to read not only people who would affirm our view, but to read carefully the best yeah. scholars who would oppose our view um, and let God work through that, however he's going to. But I, I think this particular area, 
uh, as long as we're agreed that the scriptures are the ultimate authority on this, um, we have to be charitable on this because you can make a really strong case in either direction. Um, the yeah. Utilitarian yeah, or complementarian yeah, direction. You make a really strong case in both directions and, and yeah. they got to be really careful on this one. <laughs> the hard, the hard, a hard one for me. And it's not, <clears throat> it's not necessarily a biblical argument, but it's just a big, the question of why, <laughs> like, and this is something I explored in my podcast is kind of thinking out loud. Like wh- what is it about the female sex that says every single one can't be a leader? Um, like w- what's the moral logic there? And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the book of Job. So I don't, I don't need to know the moral logic. Like I'm okay. If God said, trust me, I'm okay. Yeah. You know, I'm not yeah. going to, question that, but I'm still, I'm, I'm also nervous about just the God said. So like, usually you can see a moral logic, especially as something as significant as sure. this. And that's, that's the one I've heard some of my maybe more far right complementarian friends, you know, say, well, you know, women are, you know, they're just, they don't have natural leadership qualities or they're not good preachers. Yeah, that's that's or bogus. You know, or, or, I, oh my gosh. Really, <laughs> the best preachers in the world are women. Uh, yeah, oh my gosh. I think you've got to also, you know, an, another uh, related study you've got to, to engage in is what, what does Paul mean by teach when he says, I do not permit a woman to teach. And what does he mean by authority when he says that? Because can women lead men? Absolutely. There are plenty of places in scripture where that's happening. Uh, Can women teach to men? Absolutely. They're female prophets. Um, You know, Miriam, you know, after the Exodus event, Miriam says to the whole nation of Israel, Hey, you know, sing to the Lord. I, she, she exhorts them, you know, and, 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 and then, yeah. You know, we preached the Magnific- Magnificat, which came out of, you know, the 13, 14-year-old Virgin Mary's mouth, uh, that beautiful, yeah. you know, theologically rich song we, we, we preach from it. Um, you know, we sing <laughs> hymns by Anne Steele and Fanny Crosby to, te- to, to drill doctrine into our minds and into our hearts. You know, every, every week we give five copies of Sarah Young's Jesus Calling to our friends and family, you know, and, and, and <laughs> including the men, you know, and, 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 uh, and so we got to be careful there too, because we don't want to be more, um, sure. we don't want to be more, any more conservative or any more, um, uh, yeah. any more open than Jesus is and the scriptures are, we just got to yeah. figure out what that means. Um, so do, do you have an answer to the why question? Is it just kind of created order? Is it maintaining sex differences well, or something like that? I or? have a theory. <laughs> Um, so, um, I might offend some of your male listeners by saying this, um, but I do have a theory. Uh, you and I would probably be in agreement, Preston, that women are a lot better church members than men are, uh, that, that, that women by and large, and there are of course exceptions to this, but by and large, women are more devoted to the Lord than men are, uh, in, in our part of the world. And God chose the weak things. (laughs) <laughs> to to shame the strong and the foolish shit things to 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 confound the wise. That's why I think yeah. you know God chooses. Huh. God takes the weakest person in the room and says, "That's going to be my leader." Um, I, so I, he chooses men is, because you know, of the and weaker. I'll get called out because Peter says Peter <laughs> says the woman is the weaker sex. Well, I think the woman may is, is you know by and large the the weaker sex physically i mean most men can can beat their wife and most husbands can beat their wives in arm wrestling right most of the yeah. time um 
you know, there, there's, there's a different physiology between male and female. That's, that's undeniable. Um, you know, men can lift typically heavier weights at the gym than, than women do and so on. But, um, I, I, I don't think a strong case could be made that, that most of the time men have stronger souls, uh, than women do and that, that men have a, a more solid interior than women do. I, I actually think that, men are much harder in general to disciple than women are. Uh, and, mm. and God likes to choose weak things. He put his son in a manger. Okay. Uh, you know, he put his son in a manger. He, he uh, you know, he, he chose the seventh and smallest and most overlooked son of Jesse to be the king of Israel, not the, not the biggest and the strongest. Um, mm-hmm. He rejected the big yeah. strong guy, Saul as king and put, put David in his place and, you know, so God chooses the weak things. Kingdom belongs to little children. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. Yeah. Blessed are the men, uh, because even though they're not up to the task, they're called to lead in these unique, specific ways, according to complementarians, anyway. Um, I gotta think. I gotta think. I gotta mull over that uh, one for what, for a little so, bit. Yeah, that's it. That's, I know uh, it's not too provocative, yeah. but, but yeah, you, no, it's good. You are I, being the exception. You're you're a you're a great leader. So uh, yeah. I don't feel so bad about being a guy. Right <laughs> no, that's not at all. <laughs> no, no, but that's in my home between my wife and I. My wife is certainly uh, more capable at so many things beyond. Same. I've got one little tiny narrow niche. Like I like to read books. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I explain them decently. <laughs> like that's the extent of like my gift or lack thereof to the church. But um, Scott, what, what are some things that you have done or said, or maybe said that have gotten you into the most trouble? What are, what are you know, the, what, what has been the magnet of criticism, whether it's from the right or the left or whatever, like, um, cause you, you do, you say things. I love, I, I love the fact that you'll, you speak truth. And when you speak truth, you get criticism. You yeah. Know? Uh, Jesus is not a Republican. Um, and he doesn't support the Republican party and Jesus is not a Democrat and he doesn't support the democratic party. He doesn't vote with you. He votes with himself. So you better vote with him, whatever that means in every area of your life. Um, yeah, people hate when you mess with, 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 with with partisan idolatries, you know, people say, well, God created politics. No, he didn't. He created government. And, and we've corrupted it with politics. Um, oh gosh, what else? Um, do you, do, real quick, do you, have, do you have, would you say you have a similar percentage of Republicans and Democrats in your church? Uh, you know, it was almost all Republican when I got here and it's probably sure. 40% Democrat now, if I already guess. Really? That's a lot more mixed. Would you almost say that's a healthy, a healthy church shouldn't have one very dominant party represented? Or is that going a little too far? I, guess, I think, just... uh, well, I mean, a lot of it depends on your surrounding community. I mean, demographics, you know, yeah. dictate what your church can be just by virtue of proximity. Um, right. You know, if you're in, if you're in, uh, if you're in Idaho, uh, uh, you, you, you can't, you can't expect to uh, have a whole lot of yeah. Koreans in your church, I imagine. <laughs> because of the zip code that you live yeah. in, even though you'd love to have or de- more Koreans in yeah. your church, you'd love to, but you're probably not going to. Uh, or Democrats. I think I met a Democrat a couple of years ago. <laughs> Wander yeah, around. Democrats are really lovely people. Uh, no, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, you know, it's, uh, Idaho is off the chart Republican to the point to where, you know, most 
people who voted for Trump kind of held their nose and said, well, I can't vote for Hillary. So, I, you know, like Idahoans that voted for Trump, it was like they eagerly, but, you know, even if there was a good candidate on the side, sure. it still would have. Um, but, but Boise in particular, like most larger metro cities, I, th- I think it might be 50 50 or yeah. even more Democrat than Republican, even though yeah. the state as a whole. Yeah, is it's a lot like Austin, Texas. Nashville is a blue city, blue right. city and a red state as well. Um, right. Okay. But it's interesting, yeah. you know, the governor's race is happening right now. And, uh, you know, all the Republican, Republican candidates, um, you know, talked about how, how much they love Trump and how much they support him because they had, you know, in order to appeal to, you know, the, the state voter in Tennessee, uh, I mean, it's, it's a state that, that, uh, mm-hmm. probably like your state, um, is, is pro, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say pro Trump personal life and pro Trump behaviors or right. pro Trump Twitter account, but, but they do appreciate, <laughs> um, you know, his, his more constitutional conservative approach, things like Supreme court and everything else. I, I mean, that whole 80% yeah. thing, I mean, I, that's a one. Yeah. I, I what do you think like, about that? Um, you know, and I, I wait. Explain, is, explain, explain it real quick. What do you mean? What, what do you mean? Eighty yeah, percent? Okay. I know what you mean. So, for, as a no, pastor who my people still have no idea where I am politically, and I hope I hope your 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 listeners can't discern that either. Uh, and that's by design. Uh, I got Democrats who swear I'm a Republican, and Republicans who swear I'm a Democrat. That's how, <laughs> nobody thinks I'm one of them. Because um, you can't, uh, you don't but, fit their tribe. But you know, the eighty percent. Here's what I think is unfair. Um, you know, in the same way that I think I think that 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 right leaning Christians, you know, or right leaning people, just you know, falsely caricature, you know. Uh, President Obama in so many ways and don't give him any credit for the good things that he did. I think the same thing is, is the case, um, you know, for the the mercilessly ridicule 80% of Christians who voted for Donald Trump, like it's that simple. Um, I mean, the truth yeah. of the matter is there, there was for a lot, for most people, no good choice here. Every vote in a sense was an anti-vote. I, I didn't know... Right hardly any Hillary Clinton enthusiasts. Uh, I didn't know hardly yeah. any Donald Trump enthusiasts in, in the election process. I think virtually everybody who vote, who voted for either one of those two just held their nose and felt yeah. like, you know, the lesser of two not great uh, choices. How do we get here? Uh, that, so that, and that makes a big deal. And I, I uh, who was I was talking to the other day? Maybe it might've been Jonathan Merritt or somebody. Um, Gosh, you might be listening to this. So I got to, if it wasn't you, Jonathan, I apologize, but somebody out there, I, I raised the point that just because somebody voted for Trump doesn't mean they're an enthusiast, like supportive of exactly. And I think I, and and whoever it was says, oh, it doesn't matter. They still vote. Like, actually, I think it matters a lot. Like, in fact, I would say that it's the radical left that largely put Trump in the, the office. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a new fundamentalism. It's it's the nineteen. Yes. It's the nineteen. It's Falwell's nineteen nineties repeating itself uh, with a different moral yes. majority, with the moral majority on yes. the left oh, totally. instead of on the right. And and I'm scared to death that the, the de- Democrats on the whole and just the radical left getting so radical that they're going to do it again. They're going to put this guy back into the. Everybody knows I'm not a Trump fan, but one thing that I've gotten so annoyed at over the last year is the, like you said, the, the, the over the top anti-Trump 
backlash where no matter what the, the guy can just simply wake up in the morning and he's responsible for a hurricane in Southeast Asia. You know, it's like just there's literally nothing the guy can do that could ever be in the realm of possibly good. And everything he does is spun in the worst possible direction. And also there, there's a virtue signaling here too. You remember that when the, when the, uh, um, I can't say this too much on the air, but remember the, 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 the mic up when, when he's talked about, a woman's body part in the, in the bus right, or whatever. Right. right. <laughs> Here, here's where, and that, that's a, it's appalling. It's absolutely appalling. Here's, here's what I want to say to all the porn watching critics out there who are criticizing Trump, which is 80% of humanity right now. How dare you? <laughs> if somebody put a hot mic up to your private conversation, what would they turn up? Would you be squeaky clean? Yeah. Like it's this new Phariseeism, right. which and but even if I say that, people say, "Oh, you think it's fine?" No, I'm not saying it's fine. I'm yeah. saying, are are you really any any better than yeah, I mean, than it, all the stuff you're accusing got, him? So I got um, so one one of the places where I got really just just pilloried online was was after the election. And by the way, I would have written the same blog post had it been Hillary Clinton. But the title yeah. of the blog post was The Place of Donald Trump in the Story of Jesus. And that was the title of it. I, 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 title, I, I do clickbait titles because I want people to read what I write because I don't want to waste sure. my time yeah. writing stuff to. that people don't read. <laughs> but if you would read my, what I actually wrote in the essay, you, you would just see kind of the classic, um, you know, you know, God is in control. He holds the hearts of all kings in his hands. Um, there have been many, many, many seasons in history where it's been a lot worse for the citizens uh, than, than it's mm-hmm. going to be for us. Uh, you want to be under Putin? You want to be under uh, Ho Chi Minh? Do you want to be under Pol Pot? Do you want to be under Castro? Um, you know, yeah. and, and so be really, really careful when you start comparing Donald Trump to Hitler. Um, you know, the, 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 the biggest threat right now yeah. for Christians is we're going to lose some tax exemptions. Um, you know, that, that's not persecution, yeah. folks. That's inconvenience. <laughs> that's not persecution. <laughs> but we have this so that we have this just kind of jacked up understanding of what, what it means to suffer as, as a Christian or to suffer as somebody who's not a, a religious person. But, but, but I, I got just slammed. Uh, just on the basis of that title from people who clearly didn't read what I actually wrote, um, which, which again highlights the, the idolatry of politics uh, in general, not just among Christians, but among all people in our part of the sure. world. And also the, the, the fact that we're all looking for something to be offended by because we find an identity with other, with whatever, mob that we decide that we're going to be part of, uh, you know, to zero in and fixate on whoever our common enemy is, because we feel like, you know, that's intimacy or that's friendship or that's community when really it's just a corrupted version of community. Um, when, when Jesus is just saying, look, um, you got enough things to take out of your own eye, um, before you start worrying about, you know, what's in somebody else's eye. 
And, uh, and yeah, we want you, I, I want you, Jesus would say, to remove the specks from other people's eyes because a speck can cause an infection. It itches, it, it's irritating, but, but you got to get the log out of yours first so you can see the, the speck yeah. pretty clearly. And we don't listen to that. Um, we, we are much, much more discipled, um, you know, by the dogma of Washington, D.C. than we are by the dogma of the Bible and the dogma of Jesus wow. Christ. Uh, who calls us to a humble way, to a broken way, to a cruciform way. Um, but we want to stay on our high horse because we think power is what's going to change the world, and, and it's not. Do you think it's different with younger people? Are, are they less no. politically ingrained, no, or do you man, say it's just a No, it's just no? the pen, <laughs> pendulum swung. There's just as much arrogance yeah. you know, among you know, the, the political nuns who are so disenchanted with their parents' you know, uh, fundamentalist republicanism but they're just coming at it from a fundamentalist you know anti-republicanism <laughs> place um yeah i mean look again look at the statistics you know you you you, you look at at um you know angry left-leaning people talking you know talking about how mad we are about you know how how you know the poor are in the position that they are and 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 i and, and you know which is by itself a Christ-centered concern, but who's given all the sure. money to solve the poverty problem? Conservatives. Just look at the statistics. <laughs> Conservatives really are giving a heck of a lot more money than angry liberals are, uh, and yeah. and and you know, and and at the same time, uh, you know, liberals are raising the issue and raising their voices a lot more about injustice than conservatives are, and so. So everybody's contributing to the problem. Everybody's contributing to the solution in some ways. And if we could all figure out a way to come together and you know bring the liberal voice and the conservative generosity, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to the same table uh, and learn from each other and and grow together in the same direction under Christ, uh, we'd be on our way. I mean. In Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. That's just another way of saying in Christ, there's no conservative and no liberal. Um, you know, because the, the Jews were hyper conservative and and they faithfully tithed, and the the Gentiles were were you know hyper progressive and and um, you know were were pretty indulgent personally. Um, you know, even though they yeah. gave lip service to certain things. And so so I don't know, man. I think we can all learn from each other. Have you had people leave the church or have you had some really bad church experiences when you start touching the, the politics bear? Yeah. So yes and no. Um, so my first six months here, I lost 200 people and gained a thousand. Um, uh, and, and ever since that time, you know, we, we've, we've had people trickle out. The interesting thing is people who have left our church, um, one of the reasons that that, that is often given, uh, and it hasn't been a ton of people since, you know, it's like any large church, you, you, people are always trickling out and, and, and trickling in. But, mm. um, but the people who have left, a lot of the people who have left have said, well, it's just too political. And it's really funny because um, <laughs> it's really funny because my message is don't be too political, you know, and, 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 Wow. You know, in, in terms of don't be part, don't be too partisan. I don't say don't be political. Partisan, I think the, the, the gospel is a very political yeah, statement. I was going to say, it's a yeah, statement yeah. against Rome. Yeah. It's a statement against the worship of Caesar. Yeah. 
but it's a statement against the worship of politics uh, and the worship of government. But but at the same time, um, you know, I I want to kind of sit down with some of these folks, and, and these are all, you know, for the most part, conservative partisans who were here before I was when this was predominantly a Republican church. Um, and I, I want to just say, hey, um, when when the church, you know, 15 years ago was getting out the vote uh, and, and passing out voter cards, were you concerned that it was too political? Uh, or, or, were, or was that why you were here? Because they knew who you wanted to vote for. Uh, or, 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 you, or you knew who they wanted you to vote for. And, and you felt at home yeah. because, you know, there's a sense in which our, our faith should always agitate us. It should always be pushing against us and, 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 and contradicting us because if it's not, we ha we're not growing anymore. And um, for whatever reason, in the United States at least, you know, the, the message of nonpartisanship, of anti-partisanship really. I think Jesus is an anti-partisan. He's pro-government. Uh, he's pro-justice and mercy. He's pro-private ownership. Uh, he's pro-wealth creation. He's, he's pro-generosity. He's, he's in favor of all of that. Yeah. And half of what I just said offends uh, every single partisan person. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, yeah, I love it. Love so, it. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I test as a three on the Enneagram, but I, I, sometimes I wonder if I'm more of an eight. Um, because I really, I like to kind of stir things up a little bit sometimes, not all the time, but, but on this one, you know, on, on politics, because it's such a, I think it's such an idol. Um, we, we just have come to a point where we, we just want to speak more directly about it and say, look, um, yeah. you know, don't, don't let yourself be blinded by, don't, you know, don't let yourself be discipled by a, by a, by a man-made system um yeah so oh it's so good well one last question i'll let you go scott i'm sure you have a lot of sermons to prepare and and people to marry and bury um what uh when you think about the future of evangelicalism are you excited scared angry hopeful discouraged where's where, where are we going to be in five ten years because i mean i say that let's just acknowledge that things are very volatile right now. There's a lot of back and forth and polarization, not just politically, but religiously. And we didn't really get into the sexuality question, but that's causing all kinds of ripple effects. Yeah. Um, uh, but also, as you said at the beginning, there's a lot of really cool things going on too. So yeah. Where are we going to be in five or 10 years? Yeah, I'm an optimist. Um, you know, I'm an optimist because the church has gained a bad reputation, a negative reputation. Um, <laughs> Because when I look at church history, um, when, when the surrounding culture has had issues and problems with Christianity, as opposed to not even noticing it, um, mm. that's, when the, that's when the gospel has um, done its best work. And that's when the church, uh, capital C, has grown the most and made the most impact on the world was from you know, that prophetic life-giving minority position um counterculture for the the good of all uh, i love what c.s lewis wrote you know that, that people who thought 
the most, if you read history, you'll find the people who thought the most about the next world were the ones who did the most, or, or I'm sorry, who, who did the most for the present world were the ones who thought the most of the next world. Mm. Um, oh, wow. I mean, you look back and, and you, you know, like all of the Ivy League universities, except for Cornell, every, every last one of the rest of them was founded by Christians. Um, mm-hmm. You know, think of all the hospitals, uh, the names of all the hospitals with the word saint in the name. Um, you think about, you know, abolition of, of the slate of the African slave trade, you know, Wilberforce and other, other believers on the front edges of that. Um, you think about even today, the, the fight against the, the sex trade and trafficking. I mean, you know, faithful believers in Christ, like, you know, Christine Kane and others are, you know, on the front lines, you know, taking the lead there. I mean, you just go on and on and on and on. Um, we just need more of that. And it needs to be public, yeah. you know, let our light shine before men. Don't be shy about it. Um, no. So. So, good. so good. Scott, thanks so much for being on the show again. Uh, is your website, I got your website open right here. Is that the best place that people want to check you out? Go to scottsalls.com. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. You got books, sermons, and that's your, your blogs. That, yeah. Yeah. You blog on your website. You have sermons, you got all your books listed and, and uh, also, if you're in the Nashville area, check out uh, Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, where Scott Sauls is a pastor. Scott, thanks so much for being on the show. We got to do this again sometime. Can't do this. Thanks. thanks yeah. Got to do it more than once a year. Folks, thanks so much for listening to Theology in the Raw. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. That's patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. Thanks again to Scott Sauls for being our guest on today's show. Yeah.